0: get to the good stuff okay we have got someone really special here today her name is Kristen Clack and Kristen has been has been coming here with us at FOF for about a year maybe two years now she sings on occasion on our band and Kristen has an incredible story of the faithfulness of God that she's experienced in her life those of you who don't know Kristen um she has an eight-year-old son he's a quadriplegic He has severe brain damage, and it came when he was about 13, 14 months old and fell out of a second-story window, a perfectly healthy baby boy whose life was changed forever that day. In the midst of it, her husband became abusive, turned to alcohol, and then left her. And she's got a story here today that doesn't just talk about what it means To see a God who is faithful in surprising ways, she's got a testimony of it. So would you join me in giving it up for Kristen Clack?
1: It's only a little awkward being up here because I'm not a, uh, I don't do public speaking. I think I passed my speech class. (laughs) And actually, I'm I'm an introvert, really. So it's, um, it's funny to me to be up here speaking to a large group of people. Um, sorry. See, I'm awkward. <laughs> My best friend and I actually have a a, a joke. We actually, um, we joke about it, but we're very serious. When we walk into a group of people, we always say we don't make eye contact. Because if you make eye contact, then you have to talk to somebody. <laughs> is there anyone else that's an introvert in here? Or is it just me? Or you're not going to raise your hand because then you'll make eye contact with me. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but... Um, I, I, as shy as I am and as introvert as I am, I do feel very confident that um, I'm supposed to tell you what God has done in my life. And so here I am, I'm gonna share with you. I'm Kristen, I'm 35 years old. Um, I was married for about nine years and I remember when I was dating my husband, um, we were daydreaming about being missionaries. My, um, My boyfriend at the time was wanting to, uh, go to Romania and be a missionary. And I signed up to go into nursing school because I thought that would be a really cool tool for um, me to have so I can be useful on the mission field. So that was the life I thought I was signing up for. When I got married, after we got married, I'm not a missionary. It didn't work. It didn't pan out. Um, but um, we had, um, we gave birth to our first born son four years into our marriage, Micah. He was this, Beautiful. I fell in love with him right away when, um, on the day he was born. And we just adored him. And we still do. He's here, so I have to be careful with my words. (laughs) Um, But um, when he was 13 months old, um, one day he was playing on our bed. And we were living with my in-laws at the time. We were trying to save money for a home. So we were in one of those secondary rooms. So it was very tiny, like 10 foot by 10 foot. And our bed was like in the corner and there was a window there. And there was nowhere else to put the bed because of how the room was shaped and just how tiny it was. Um, And I had completely forgotten that the night before, um, it was stuffy in our room. We had opened up the window. The screen was still there and the blinds were covering the window, but I'd completely forgotten that we had done that. And so Micah was an, a very active 13-month-old and he was doing what Micah does and he was crawling around and he went over to the the window and then I remembered the screen. And um, he can't, he's not very strong, but you know, he just banged on it a little bit and I think the screen wasn't locked in all the way because it just, it just popped right out and he tumbled down with it. And I was right next to him and I just couldn't reach him to stop it. I remember screaming, Micah fell down the window, he fell out the window and I remember running down the stairs and out onto the porch, Micah had hit his head on a wooden deck and my husband had run out and he had scooped him up and he held him and Micah took one final breath and then nothing. And in that moment, I was not Nurse Kristen. I was Panic Mom. And even though it's my job to do CPR, and I do at work all the time, I could not even remember how to do CPR on my own child. I called 911 and the paramedics came and they, couldn't, they could not get a heartbeat on him. They tried as much as they could out on the porch, but he needed to be airlifted to a level one trauma center. We didn't know if he was going to make it. And um, he, he was resuscitated, but it was 25 minutes without adequate oxygen. So he has significant brain damage. Mike has lost everything. He is quadriplegic. His brain has lost communication with the rest of his body. So, um, even though his spine works, his brain doesn't know there there is a spine, so it doesn't send any messages. So um, he still has his reflexes, but he, he can't move like you and I can. So he can't talk, he can't eat. Everything has to be done through a hole in his stomach, through a feeding tube. Um, he's got a seizure disorder. He's got a type of blindness because his, he lost his brain connection to his eyes. He's considered blind. And we were in the hospital for two months with him. And every day I was with him, and we were waiting for him to snap out of it, and he just didn't. And I was surprised when the doctor said, okay, it's time for you to take him home. And I remember looking um, at the doctor just, I was waiting for him to be healthy before we brought him home, walking again, right? Right? No, you're bringing him home. And the doctor was writing some notes, and she turned away to talk to somebody. And I just couldn't help myself. I know eavesdropping is when you overhear something. What is it when you overlook something? <laughs> Anyways, it was not intentional, and uh, I was totally in the wrong. But I looked anyway. And um, she had written some notes about my son. And the word that I saw, vegetable. I was bringing home my son, and he was being labeled as a vegetable. My perfectly healthy 13-month-old baby. Micah's lost everything. My husband and I both made poor choices after that. I turned to food. And then... I turned into overeating, then I turned into not eating, over-exercising, compulsive exercising. And I had gotten myself so sick that I ended up in a mental hospital for two months. I was not coping. I was cracking. My husband turned to alcohol and other um, misuse of medications and substance abuse our home became more and more angry and violent and full of fear. And I remember many nights, curled up in a ball in my closet, crying out to God, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't even recognize the situation I'm in. I thought I was supposed to be a missionary in Romania. I have a child who's considered a vegetable. I have a husband who promised to love me who can't love me. And I had a newborn. Did I mention that? I have a newborn daughter who I don't even have time to hold because I'm too busy putting out fires. Mike was in and out of the hospital a lot. He's just a very fragile kid. God hears us when we don't even know how to pray. And He sees our situation and He cares. I didn't even know how to pray, but He heard me anyway. I was part of a small group. Well, kind of. I didn't really go very much. Um, But they were great people. And when I did go, um, they were wonderful. Um, it was not like this dynamic, super spiritual group. They were um, just good people. And, um, but they had seen a few red flags, I think, in our family that they were concerned about. And the men, very lovingly, godly, yet in a very tough way, tough love way, approached my husband and said, we are seeing some things that we're not liking. We think you need some help. We're going to help you. We're going to take you to get some help, and we're going to do it together because we love you, and you're not alone. We're going to do this together. And um, my husband did not want anything to do with that whatsoever. And they made many attempts very lovingly, tough loving way. Um, And they even brought in the pastor as a witness, but he wanted nothing to do with them. And um, at that point, the women, some of the women approached me, And in a very loving, tough loving way, Um, tenderly, but godly way, full of truth, said, we see some red flags in you and your family. We think you need help. We love you. We're going to do this together. And I wish I had said, yes, this is the help I've been praying for. It was not. I was very angry. I was very mad. How dare you? You don't even know our situation. You're not experiencing what we're experiencing. We're just stressed. But they continued, they uh, were very persistent. Um, Eventually, um, they did talk me into it. And it was very, very hard. See, when you're in a situation and you're used to things being one way, it is very hard to switch gears and to face a new direction. And sometimes the direction that we're facing, what feels like the truth is not actually the truth. But God was loving enough where he sent truthful people, truth tellers. We need to surround ourselves with truth tellers. They were truth tellers. And eventually I did get a restraining order against my husband. And uh, when the police showed up to um, escort him, I gave him a letter. I had written him a letter very thoughtfully. And I said, I love you. I want to grow old with you. We're not through. You need to go get some help. And then come home. I miss you already. Go get the help that you need so that you can be healthy and come back home. And I thought for sure that would be the turning point for him where he would go get some help and then he would come back home. Um, unfortunately, he moved in with another woman. She got pregnant and he filed for divorce. There's more to the story, but that is the gist of it. I remember driving home on the day that I was served divorce papers, just bewildered like Now I'm going to be a single mom. <laughs> But what was most damaging was losing my best friend, my husband. I remember feeling this angst in my heart of deep grief. The ripping of what was supposed to be one was now going to be two again. And that was tragic. I don't know why, but that was more tragic to me than holding my son when he was taking his last breath. I don't know why, but... Divorce is very painful. I learned some things about suffering. God's been teaching me a lot, and I want to share with you some of the things he's taught me. Suffering often, and I want to be careful with my words. I don't want to say always, because everyone's situation is different. But everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. Different degrees, different seasons. But we all experience suffering. Suffering often is an invitation to know God intimately. Psalm 34, 18 says, God is near to the brokenhearted. And Psalm 147, 3 says, he binds up their wounds. Binding up a wound is intimacy. When my six-year-old daughter wants me to put a Band-Aid on her knee, she doesn't really need a Band-Aid. There's no blood, honey. But it's intimacy. Like, I will take care of you. But if you have no wound to be bound, you don't get to experience that kind of intimacy. God says that he is faithful, and so we can believe it. His word says that he is faithful. And because he says it, I believe it. But when you experience his faithfulness, experiencing something is a different kind of knowing than just a learning from, from words. How do we know that God is faithful unless we're in a situation in which he needs to be faithful? How would you know that? Unless there is no plan B where it's God, if, doesn't, if God doesn't come through, I'm going down. I was going down. I went down. I was in a mental hospital. It's pretty down. See, God is teaching me a lot about his unconditional love for us. He pursues us. When I look at my son Micah, those beautiful brown eyes, my heart just swells with love for him. I love this boy. He can't do anything to earn that love, he can't walk. He can't talk, he can't eat, he can't do anything. He can't even say mom to pull my heartstrings. Nothing. Yet when I look at him, I can't even contain myself. I love him. I would die for him. He does not need to earn my love. I love him because he belongs to me. We are loved because who we belong to. We don't have to do anything to earn that love. We often put value on ourselves based off of what we can do. And if that were the case, what does Micah have? What do we have? I have a very hard time believing in myself that I'm loved, that I can be loved, that I'm lovable. And so I work on myself. You know, I self-improve. You know, I buy makeup. (laughs) Go shopping too much. (laughs) Um, But I'm on a budget. (laughs) Um, I try to be kind. I'm a people pleaser. It's how I was raised. (laughs) I'm a recovered people pleaser. Recovering. It's a process. Um, But our value is based off of who we belong to. See, economics is is different than that. You can't um, improve yourself to make yourself more lovable. We are just loved. If I want to go and buy a pair of shoes, most probably on clearance, the worth, the value of the shoes is only whatever someone's willing to pay for them. If there's a really nice car, it's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. That's what it's worth. We are worth what it took to buy us. That is Jesus' life, the blood of Jesus. That was our price tag. And there was a buyer. Our God bought us. We are worth Jesus' death on a cross. And we don't have to do anything to earn it. Because while we were yet sinners, that's when he died. When we were at our messiest, our most broken, when we couldn't do anything, we still can't, but we can't earn his love, that's when he chose to die for us. We were bought. You are worth Jesus' blood. That's tremendous. Romans eight thirty two says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? If Jesus was, went to the cross to die for you, God clearly is not going to stop taking care of you in the little things. If he did the biggest thing, he will also do the little things. If he is faithful in the big thing. He is faithful in the little things. How will he not also take care of our smaller needs? Suffering is often an invitation to know God more intimately because in our suffering, we get to experience that intimacy with him differently than before. Suffering is often an invitation to be used by God differently. Um, Before Micah's accident... I remember there being a few co-workers of mine at work that I was sharing my faith with on a regular basis, and they just, it was just falling on deaf ears. And it wasn't until after Micah's accident, now they were wanting to hear it again. Because when you are proclaiming God's goodness and things look well, you don't have as much credibility is when you're suffering, when things are going maybe not so well. And you're still proclaiming God's goodness authentically. We don't want to fake it. You know, I want to be honest with when people ask me. One of, my, one of the things I hate, I cringe when people say to me is, you're so strong. I'm like, I was in a mental hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but then I get to tell them what God has done. <laughs> That's That's what's strong, is our God. (laughs) Um, Suffering is often an invitation to be used by God differently because it does change our circumstances. So here's the circumstance we're in. I need help at home. And so we have um, a couple of nurses that come to our home every day at 6 in the morning to help Micah get up. For the day, they help me out with medications, suctioning. He's got some chest percussion machinery that he needs help with, and and they take him to school and they stay with him. And so, those nurses, their full time job is being in my family, forty hours a week. And there was this one woman, whom I just adore, who has been Micah's nurse for many years, and we had ended up having these very challenging but awesome conversations about God because God is in her home. We talk about him. Um, And she was in a place where she was very angry with God and wanted nothing to do with God. But I might have had some ulterior motives because we would go to church. Sorry, you're working. You have to come with us. (laughs) But I want to share something really awesome. Um, Two years ago, after being Micah's nurse for five years, five years, or something like that, um, she accepted Christ as her Savior, and she is a brand new person. Oh, my goodness. She's, she's awesome. And um, last fall, she um, brought another woman to Christ. It's two souls. And that woman passed away six weeks after that. So there is a soul in heaven right now. So I get to look at Micah, and I get to hold him and say, don't ever think you're not being used by God. Don't ever look at your limitations and think for a second you're not being used. We should never look at our limitations and think we are not being used. We are being used. But we don't have, we're not the ones doing the work. It's God. We just have to be. If you think that what you're doing doesn't matter, or if you have yet to see fruit or positive outcomes, if you feel that you were limited, you need to know loved ones that your God is working. And suffering sometimes is just a part of it. So we could be used differently. Suffering is often an invitation to be used by God differently. Suffering is often an invitation to worship God authentically. What I mean by that is when things are going well and you see the fruit and you see God showing up and doing awesome things, it is so easy to worship Him in that way. But you know that He's still on the throne even when we don't see that. He's still King, He still deserves our worship. When I feel that angst, that grief, that guilt, mama guilt, in my heart, Sometimes it's soft, sometimes it's loud, sometimes it's deafening. But the only time I don't hear it is when I'm worshiping. And I don't know if it's true for about anyone else, but it's true for me. And here's why I think it is. Worship puts us in a posture that's right. When we bend our knee to him and we recognize that he is Lord, he is the one in control, not me. See, I think when we're... Maybe not experiencing suffering, our awareness, or this illusion that we have sometimes that we're in control. But when we're suffering, that illusion disappears real fast. I am not in control. I don't have any control of what's going on around me. In fact, I feel like I'm spiraling. But when our knee is at the cross and we recognize that He is in control, I am not. There's rest in that. There is peace in that. That posture of humility, sometimes it's circumstantial, but that posture of humility puts us in a really healthy place. And worship can authentically put us there. I want to read you a couple things. Job. There's a guy that knows how to suffer. If you're not familiar with Job, he was the man who loved God deeply, tremendously. But he was also very wealthy, and he had a wonderful family. God just poured his blessings on this man. And um, in the first chapter of Job, God has a conversation, a private conversation with Satan. And God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That's the worst thing you want God to say to Satan about you. (laughs) But he said it. Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, well, of course he worships you. Of course he adores you. You've blessed him. You made him wealthy. He's got this great family, all these possessions. Of course he worships you. If you took all that away, he will stop worshiping you. He will curse you. And so God gave him permission. Okay, strip him. See what happens. And so Satan does. His family passes away. He is tragically stripped of his wealth, his possessions. Job loses everything. But I want to read to you Job's response. This is at the end of chapter 1, after Satan's first attack. It says, Job said, Then Job arose, tore his robe shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's first response to suffering was worship. One more thing I want to read to you in Romans. Romans 8:28. One of my faves. And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is working all things together. And when we worship him, we remember that he is working all things together and he's trustworthy. So, I like to worship, if I haven't expressed that already. Um, And I do, God and I talk through worship. And um, I did, I do write some worship songs. And I want to share one of them with you, if that's okay with you. And this one that I'm going to sing for you is about worshiping God in the waiting. It's good to worship God when he shows up. And the fruit is seen, and you can see that God has uh, done some marvelous things. But there's, sometimes there's this period where you're waiting to see it, or you can't see it, or it might be a while. And you're in that grieving time, and you're waiting for God to show up. But you know in that waiting period where we don't understand what's happening, God's still God. He's still on the throne. He still deserves our worship. Still in charge. So that's what I want to share with you today, and I hope it ministers to you. Is it okay if I share it?
2: through For a little while, I'm greatly grieved by various trials, but prove more worth than any gold refined by fire. My faith in